Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Brett Baer, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. I'm Chris Foster. It's another primary Tuesday, and the Democrats in general are looking a little stronger, or at least less weak, heading into the midterms. The Republicans have nominated a whole bunch of flawed candidates, Trump-endorsed candidates that are not in the political mainstream, and that's hurting the party's chances in states like Arizona or Pennsylvania or Georgia. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It's back to school time, and some places around the country are grappling with a teacher shortage as surveys show educators are largely unhappy. Teachers are doing their very best to educate the students, but they're just being pulled in too many directions. It's a lot. And I'm Ian Pryor. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. We are now 11 weeks away from Election Day. More candidates for the November ballot are being decided today in primaries in New York and in Florida. Voters there spoke to Fox. I think they need to focus on issues. I'd like to see them tackle immigration first and foremost. And so I'm looking for somebody who's a statesman rather than a firebrand. We've endangered our ability to get energy from every, anything from uh, natural <laughs> gas to, uh, to gasoline. So when these people come in with, with agendas that you don't understand when you're electing them, that's a little frightening. In New York, the new congressional map is redrawn after a court ruled the first one unconstitutionally partisan in favor of Democrats. And there are a lot of hot races in their primaries. Yeah, a lot of progressive versus moderate matchups. Fox News Radio political analyst Josh Crossauer. He's also the senior political correspondent at Axios. Whether you're looking at the, the 10th district, the uh, Jerry Nadler's old seat, where you have Dan Goldman, uh, who spent a lot of his own money, his own fortune, uh, into the lead against some, some progressive candidates. And you also have the, the showdown that a lot of folks are paying attention to in New York City between Jerry Nadler and Carolyn Maloney. It does look like Nadler with Chuck Schumer's endorsement and the endorsement of the New York Times has the the late momentum in that in that big Democratic primary. Yeah, for people who aren't uh, in New York, don't follow New York City politics like most of the like most of the country doesn't. Um, this is New York's twelfth. It's a, uh, because of redistricting. Jerry Nadler, who's represented the Upper West Side for thirty years, uh, is up against Carolyn Maloney, who's represented the Upper East Side for close to that. Uh, but they they smushed those two neighborhoods together into the same seat, and so now they're at each other's throats. You know, that's right. Redistricting has changed the map of, of New York dramatically. So this is uh, a process that's really pitted allies against allies. And they've, in the case of Nadler and Maloney, these two Democrats who had a close relationship with each other in Congress are now arch enemies as they try to battle for the same seat. But it's not, it's not just those two members. You have Sean Patrick Maloney, the House Democrat in, in Westchester, Rockland County, uh, running a, and facing a challenge from his left against a socialist-minded uh, Democratic state legislator. So you, you, New York has been this real battleground in the Democratic Party between the more moderate or center-left Democrats and this rising socialist 
democratic socialist movement trying to challenge a lot of these these more mainstream Democrats from the far left. And you have a lot of these proxy battles taking place for Congress and a lot of other races as well. Yes, we know that at least one of uh, Maloney and Nadler and maybe even up to five people could end up losing their seats and not have it uh, when uh, when this game of musical chairs stops. Florida also today. Now, their new congressional map, my understanding is it leaves very few, if any, swing districts. So all the districts, 28 of them in Florida, are considered pretty solidly Republican or pretty solidly Democrat. So the primaries in most of these cases are pretty much going to decide who wins in November, right? That's right. This was a map that was drawn by Governor Ron DeSantis. It was designed to give Republicans a, a significant advantage. Now, you know, in some, some elections in a good Democratic year, there could be a couple seats that end up becoming in play for the Democratic Party that could be competitive. But with this looking like a pretty good Republican year, a lot of the, the seats are, are out of reach for Democrats. And it's a, the more action is going to be taking place in these primaries and then it is in the general election in November. Val Demings is leaving her House seat. She's running for Senate, uh, taking on Marco Rubio, the Republican uh, incumbent. Uh, So it's a crowded field of Democrats for her seat. Uh, And and Demings is looking pretty good against Rubio, looking ahead to November, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's been some encouraging polls from Javel Demings' campaign or from other liberal pollsters. Florida is a Republican-leaning state, and this election cycle is shaping up to at least being a pretty good good year for Republicans. So, you know, once Marco Rubio spends money, once once that race really starts heating up, I would expect Rubio to have the edge. But look, Val Demings is a good candidate. She is a former sheriff. She is someone who was talked about as a running mate for President Biden in 2020. And uh, she, this is going to be the biggest test of her political life. And she's doing doing well, given the circumstances early on. All right. So New York and Florida today, uh, election day is 11 weeks from today. So let's talk big picture a little bit. Our Fox News power rankings from our politics team has the Re- Republicans still winning the House uh, and, and taking control there, but with less of a majority than earlier thought. And the Dems uh, may be holding on to the Senate after all. What's your take on? Do you agree with that analysis so far? Well, look, the, the, the political environment is still pretty favorable for, for Republicans. The NBC poll came out 42 percent job approval for Joe Biden. Republicans with a two point edge on the generic ballot. Uh, wrong track is, is near historic levels. So this is not a good environment for a party in power. Maybe not quite as good as it was a couple months ago, but it's still a very favorable environment for for Republicans. I think the bigger story when it comes to the Senate is the Republicans have nominated a whole bunch of flawed candidates, Trump-endorsed candidates that are not in the political mainstream. And that's hurting the party's chances in states like Arizona or Pennsylvania or Georgia, you know, the states where Republicans should be at least neck and neck holding an advantage perhaps in some of these these swing states but because dr oz's negatives are awfully high he hasn't really adapted to the campaign trail effectively or someone like a blake masters a little bit rough around the edges as a nominee in arizona you're, you're seeing republicans underperforming where they should be at this point so there's still a lot of time left the ads are going to be going up all over the campaign airwaves for the next couple months but there's a lot of worrisome data from these challengers that they're not ready for prime time, and that's raising Democrats' hopes that they can hold on to that narrow Senate majority. Yeah, uh, Senate minority leader, at least minority leader for now, still Mitch McConnell has said, look, we've got a, I forget the exact phrase he used, but we've got a, a quality control issue here with some of our candidates. He didn't mention former President Trump by name, but that's obviously what he's talking about. The Republicans have to still thread this needle of allegiance to the former president to win their primary, but not be so Trumpy. 
uh, is to turn away, uh, turn away independents and more moderate Republicans. Yeah, it's really about looking. I mean, you can be populist. You can be for the president and, and still win general elections. But it's when you're focusing on the past, when you're focusing on uh, the results of the last election, denying the results the, of the last election. That is what it, most swing voters considered too extreme, that there's a little bit something off with the candidates that are dwelling on past elections instead of focusing on issues that voters care about heading into the future. So that that's where a lot of Republicans who pandered to get the Trump endorsement, perhaps pandered to play to 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 the MAGA movement are now finding themselves a little bit uh, damaged, a little bit out of the mainstream as, as a lot of voters see them. Yeah. I mean, Liz Cheney, to that end, got destroyed uh, in a race, in a primary that had she not uh, been on the wrong side of the Trump tracks, probably would have won by 30 points, 40 points, whatever. Well, well you know, I think it's, there's actually two sides of the same coin with Liz Cheney. You know, she, was, she would have been in trouble no matter what because of her vote for impeachment. But voters on the Republican side and, frankly, the independent side don't really want to hear about January. They, they want to hear about the future. They want to hear about the economy. They want to hear about crime, immigration. They don't want Republicans, MAGA Republicans to focus on who won the 2020 election and catering to Donald Trump's, you know, arguments on that. And they don't want to hear, you know, even someone like Liz Cheney focusing on uh, January 6th, even though she made that and made opposition to Trump such a central part of her own campaign. They want most most average Republican voters and average swing voters want candidates to talk about the economy, inflation, crime, all the major issues that pop up uh, and all of the polling that, that's been done. Uh, January 6th is a secondary issue. It's it's one that, you know, some voters do care about. But if you look at all the ads from Democrats and Republicans alike, they're not on 2020. They're not on January 6th. They're about the bread and butter issues that affect so many Americans. How about abortion? Coincidentally or not, probably not. Uh, Democrats have been looking better generically in the polls since that Supreme Court decision in June uh, overturning Roe versus Wade. Are we still thinking that 11 weeks from now, uh, even more f- further from that, from that decision, is going to drive Democrats to to vote in November. Yeah, this is an issue that is driving more Democratic base voters than than anyone else. But that's that's very important because usually in a midterm, it's a, it's the opposition party, it's the party out of power that is much more motivated to vote. And the Fox polling, NBC just came out with a new poll uh, this this past week, showing Democrats are now just as engaged, just as enthusiastic, and a abortion rights and the fight for protecting abortion rights is a big factor in that base enthusiasm. So this isn't going to dramatically change the the political environment. It's still awfully rough to be be a Democrat, but it gets Democrats excited. It, it cuts the margins in some key races. I think in, in state, there's certain states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan in particular, where the policy, abortion policy, is literally on the ballot, where, where things can hang in the balance when it comes to uh, individual rights on abortion that are at stake. And, and those states, maybe add Arizona to the mix as well, abortion is going to play a greater role in the election than in a lot of these other congressional contests where there's really not a whole lot at stake. Uh, Coming back to today, those primaries in Florida and New York, anything you're particularly intrigued by? Yeah, I mean, the big Florida race I'm looking at is Ron DeSantis's uh, opponent in, in you know, the Democratic nominee in November. It's going to be between Charlie Crist, the former governor, and Nikki Freed, um, who's a state, the only Democratic statewide official in the state of Florida. It, it is a classic test of moderate versus more liberal. Crist is a former Republican, pretty moderate uh, lawmaker now, and, and, and Freed has run to his left. Uh, so I, I'm interested to see who the nominee is for the Democrats against DeSantis. 
DeSantis. And I'm interested to see, you know, in November, not only if DeSantis wins, I think he's heavily favored to, to win another term, but what is that margin going to be? Because that, that's going to mean a whole lot in his decision making on whether he runs for president or not. Yeah, and that's the talk that whatever Donald Trump may or may not do, that DeSantis is going to throw his hat in the ring. If, if for some reason there's an upset and DeSantis is not governor of Florida anymore, can you run for president like that? That's right. And look, I think if... Uh, if Chris is the nominee, uh, DeSantis is still a, a big favorite, but Chris is better positioned to, to, to make that a smaller margin, to, to make this a real race. Uh, Freed is a better caricature, I think, that, that uh, DeSantis can, can use as a foil and, and as someone who's more reflective of the progressive base than, than the more moderate voters in the state. Josh Crossauer is Fox News Radio political analyst. He'll be part of the coverage of today's primaries in New York and Florida. He's also the senior political correspondent at Axios. Josh, thanks. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Ian Pryor with your Fox News commentary. Coming up. Earlier this year, the National Education Association reported the findings of a survey that 55% of educators were thinking of leaving the profession earlier than planned. And then this month, as many of us began preparing to go back to school, the president of the NEA said there's a five-alarm crisis, that there are 300,000 teacher and other school staff-related vacancies around the country. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis announced a new law this summer that says veterans do not have to have a college degree in order to teach, eliminating a prior requirement that one have an advanced degree to teach STEM subjects. If you served in the military for at least four years, were honorably discharged, have taken 60 college credits, and passed a subject area exam, we want you to be able to teach Florida students. Our veterans have a wealth of knowledge and experience they can bring to bear in the classroom. The Kansas Department of Education had reported in March of this year 1,400 teacher vacancies. Pennsylvania's Department of Education noted a decline in new teachers and said they will need thousands more by 2025. In Missouri, where several districts have implemented four-day school weeks over the last 10 years, more districts are now joining that trend, as are a couple in Texas. Our students uh, need additional support. They need smaller class sizes. They need tutors. They need after-school programs. So let's use the American Rescue Plan dollars to bring back retired teachers, to work with universities to make sure that our student teachers are starting a little bit earlier. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona told CBS Face the Nation on Sunday that while part of the solution is to use unspent American Rescue Plan dollars that were allocated to schools, a long-term plan needs to include paying teachers more. College graduates earn 33% more than your average teacher uh, when they leave. And adjusted for inflation, over the last 25 years, teachers have made a $29 increase in their salary. That's unacceptable. Now, talk of teacher shortages has been alive and well since before COVID hit. And while some surveys show educators are largely unhappy, some places are more impacted by actual teacher departures than others. There are different conditions in different parts of the country. Fox News correspondent Steve Harrigan. Right now, I'd have to say that parts of Missouri are in the extreme position of cutting back 
the school week from five days to four days. So you're right, it does change depending on where you are in the country. And also the teacher shortage in many places did not begin with COVID, but certainly the conditions of the pandemic led to a lot of retirements of teachers. Some districts show more than a 30% jump in retirement. So for whatever the reason, a lot more teachers leaving the scene, leaving the classroom during the pandemic, which has made an already existing problem even worse. What are you seeing some school districts or even states talk about doing to, to like ramp up recruitment? Or are we seeing like talk of let's pay teachers more? I know the education secretary over the weekend went on the Sunday shows and said, hey, use some of that COVID relief money, but that would just be like one-time funding. I imagine then there would be a fight to secure additional monies to continue those pay increases if that's on the table. You're right, that would be one-time funding, and some of that work is already underway. New York City releasing $100 million to hire new teachers. As far as getting creative, different methods, uh, we've heard a few from Governor DeSantis in Florida urging the hiring of military personnel, first responders, bringing their experience into the classroom. And the governor of Georgia as well, Brian Kemp, saying similar things, that it's time to bring in people from outside traditional venues to try and fill a real gaping shortage. I was reading Steve enrollment is down in several public schools. The New York City Schools Chancellor talked about that last week when he was talking about welcoming all the asylum seekers uh, and, and those kids into their school system. And then I found this survey, the Return to Learn Tracker, and it says since the pandemic began, 1.2 million children have left the public school system. I think there were even some reports in some places about maybe needing to lay teachers off because of the low enrollment. How does lower enrollment factor into this conversation? It does seem like a paradox. On the one hand, lower enrollment in some places. On the other hand, a real shortage of teachers as well. And just to compound the problem even further, you have what's happened to people, especially students during the pandemic. It's estimated that a lot of students are at least two to four months behind in the critical skills of reading and math due to oh. lost time during the pandemic. And finally, Steve, some have made this political. I know you've seen it, too. I, I saw a BuzzFeed list of quotes from teachers about why they're leaving, and some say they feel their speech is being infringed on. One teacher said she was tired of teaching about old white guys. And I know that's anecdotal, obviously, but the head of the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten, said the political situation in the U.S. combined with the after effects of the pandemic created this contrived shortage. How political is it in your sense from what you've been reading and who you've been talking to? I think you can find complaints, even political ones, from both sides as to why teachers could be leaving, but there's also probably a more basic reason as well, along with the frustration and the challenges of the past three years, and that is pay. U.S. public school teacher, on average, earns about $60,000 a year. If you compare that to other jobs where you need a college degree, it's roughly about 33% less. So along with all the politics, along with all the complaints, basic pay could be a factor as well. So while it's clear teacher shortages depend on where you are, it's also clear from surveys that many teachers are dissatisfied and burned out. Some teachers have actually left, and former second and third grade teacher Stacy Crosswell in Houston is one of them. I could have left in December, but I didn't think that was fair to my students or parents. I was an online teacher, and I had a great relationship with them, so... I didn't think leaving was appropriate at the time. Um, why did I leave? 
several reasons. Um, lack of support is always there right at the top in many different ways, not uh, resources that are provided or not provided. Um, and this is from logistic level, administrative level. And when I say that, I'm talking about supplies, paper, copies, books that we're going to use. Um, that all comes out of our own salaries. It's all teacher funded um, classrooms. And the uh, hardest part, I think, was after the pandemic, we were told basically that we needed to catch the kids up. And that meant catching kids up multiple grade levels, which is impossible. And being held to those expectations of, well, why can't this kid do A, B, or C? Well, they missed a lot of school. Um, during the pandemic, we, of course, were given a lot of leeway of, ah, it's okay if they learned it. Oh, it's okay. But it was not <laughs> this hmm. last year. Um, and I'm sure it's the same way now. Um, one of the larger things that I have found being a problem is that kids are just being moved along. It doesn't matter if they have passed. Um, unfortunately, the No Child Left Behind Act kind of got twisted around into something that it's definitely not. Your child may be failing, but we're going to promote them to the next grade mm. because we have to. Wow. And just to clarify, you said that it was expected of you guys to what supply paper and copies and even books out of your own salary? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Um, books, books in your classroom, just like if you had a library. You need to do that. Now, if you didn't have a prescribed book, uh, math book or reading books in your classroom, you had to figure something out. But and did the kids, was, did the parents, were they expected to buy their kids like the instructional materials? Nope. It all falls wow. on the teacher. <laughs> um, it's all up to you. Whatever you want to learn, uh, use to learn in your classroom, you need to find it. Um, there were times in other districts that I had worked in where things were provided and it was easier. But if you needed supplemental, um, let's say just worksheets, they would not approve them for copies. So you needed to make them yourselves. The reason they wouldn't approve them they, because they said, oh, well, what you have is enough. Well, not when I have kindergartners and first graders in my third grade class. The materials we're using for that third grade, those kids don't get. They don't understand. They're still working on counting. Wow. So you have to make that balance work. Stacey, you, I imagine you have, um, you talk to other teachers, you know other teachers, you know other people in the profession. Did you get the sense that other people were unhappy? And do you know other people, other teachers, other educators who actually left the profession like you did? Absolutely. Both counts. And there are teachers who would love to leave, but financial reasons or they're close to retirement that they they can't leave and what are those who have left told you that do they echo your same concerns or do they ha are the concerns and and issues you know do they vary um it's the same concerns uh and there's of course other concerns um teachers are often afraid to speak up because they're afraid of repercussions from administration district um losing your certificate which can happen so they don't speak up and I am just put in a place where I'm, I'm okay. I'm not afraid. I don't need to worry about those repercussions. So I'm going to speak the truth of what's happening in the schools because I don't think general population or really anyone, unless you're a teacher has a clue what's happening inside the school and teachers are doing their very best to educate the students, but they're just being 
pulled in too many directions. It's a lot. <laughs> I know you told our own Fox News anchor, Dana Prina, that you, you liked teaching virtually. I know it was a mixed bag for, for many, <laughs> but some of the anecdotes I've, I've read, teachers blame parents for why they want to leave, at least in part. What's, what's up with parents in your mind? Well, as far as online teaching, I loved it. I really did. I really loved it because um, I had a great group of parents who were involved and made sure, you know, they checked their kids work. That relationship for me was really good. Um, the problem that we're having now was that parents are upset with teachers because we're making them do something. We have to make them read. We have to make them add. We have... That's what we do every day. We've got to learn these things in, in, a, in a group culture where these kids are just starting to learn social interactions because many of them didn't have them for the first two years of their school year. So kindergarten and first graders who are just now in second grade, they didn't quite get that social interaction that kids usually have. Stacey, finally, you know, we heard the education secretary make the rounds this weekend talking about really about money. Would better pay do the trick? And what kind of increase would it take to make it worth it to keep teachers, you know, feeling like they're being paid for what they're doing, for the work that they're actually doing? In the state of Texas, we're paid fairly well. Teachers are. I know that there are other states that are not paid well, and our teachers have to work two and three jobs on top of teaching, which I can't ever imagine. Um, an increase would help, but I think the same issues would remain. So that wouldn't solve anything. Um, for me, I don't even know if I would go back for $100,000. Yes, the money would be nice, but man, is it worth being upset every day? Is it worth, you know, the 12 hour days plus half your weekend gone? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that would fix it. At all. What 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 would then? Would would it would more teachers help? Would an administrative staff that engages with you in a different way help? I mean, what would what would concretely do you think help? What I think would concretely help would be smaller class sizes and more teachers, because then you could dig into those issues of those little ones who need a lot of extra help. You could get in there and actually work with them. Where when you have twenty two to thirty six or forty eight kids in your class, you can't do that. Stacey Crosswell, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. What's on your mind? Parents across the country are outraged at the blatant politicization of public education. The fervor began during COVID-19 lockdowns as parents were able to get a peek behind the curtain and find out that schools were less focused on reading, writing, math, and science, and more focused on implementing critical race theory teaching about gender fluidity, and teaching about the plethora of pronouns that young children now use. Whether you are a parent in Virginia, Texas, Pennsylvania, or anywhere else, you've likely encountered something in your child's textbook or in some other school-related material that troubles you. While spotting the nonsense is easy, it can be overwhelming for many parents to figure out what tools and resources they have to fight back against the woke indoctrination of their children. 
Certainly attending school board meetings, writing letters to the editor, and continuing to grow the ranks of watchdog moms and dads must continue. But it is also critically important to scale up. You must be strategic, tactical, and one step ahead of the educational industrial complex. Here are three tools you can use and how best to use them to keep holding your schools accountable. The Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment Requests. First passed in 1974, the Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment, PPRA, is a powerful legal tool that allows parents to review instructional materials, including curriculum and teacher trainings, without requiring payment. To utilize this law, all it takes is sending a simple letter or email to your school district asking to conduct a PPRA inspection of instructional materials used as part of your child's education. A sample of this letter can be found in America First Legal's PPRA Toolkit. Freedom of Information Act Requests. FOIA is certainly one of the most powerful tools in the arsenal of a watchdog mom or dad. Each state has its own FOIA laws, and most school districts will have an electronic FOIA portal to submit requests. And it is important to be as specific as possible when asking for documents. Otherwise, a school district will quote you exorbitant fees to stop you from getting the documents. Every investigation is different, but a good rule of thumb is this. Use the PPRA to get the instructional materials. Then, armed with those materials, submit well-tailored FOIA requests to collect information on how those instructional materials were approved, purchased, and implemented in the school system. Lawfare. Public comment is an annoying necessity for school board members. Bad press for your school district is temporary and your school district leaders know it. But litigation is more than a mere annoyance, and it is anything but temporary. Until now, these school districts could implement woke policies and practices that violated the Constitution or state statute without fear. They long thought, correctly, that parents would be afraid of bringing such lawsuits and being canceled and ostracized for daring to challenge the regime of wokeness. But those days are over. Parents are now stepping up and filing lawsuits for everything from compelling student speech in violation of the First Amendment, and for blocking parents from documenting a school critical race theory framework, also in violation of the First Amendment. Equally as important, public interest litigation organizations like America First Legal Center for Legal Equality and others are stepping up to fund these kind of meritorious lawsuits so that parents do not have to mortgage their futures to fight for their children's future. If I have learned anything in the past year, it is this. When you think all is lost, keep fighting. When you think all is won, keep fighting but be smart, be strategic, and use the tools that the law offers you. This is Ian Pryor. I'm a senior advisor at America First Legal and the executive director of fightforschools.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.